Our reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, from the first chapter, uh, verses 9 to 15. And you can find that uh, on the Bible in front of you uh, on page uh, 1002. So we're starting at verse 9, and the heading of this is the baptism and testing of Jesus. At that time, uh, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And then verse 15, the heading there is, Jesus announces the good news, the start of his ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of God. here in the first Sunday of Lent and I can always remember it was a special time for me. I was at a Bible camp many, many years ago, many, many, many years ago when I first heard about Jesus in the wilderness and I thought to myself, what an incredible thing to do. But I always thought to myself as a young child, what was the purpose? What was the purpose of Jesus doing this? And later on, um, I had lots of questions and answers, but later on, um, I got it, do you know? And one of the things that we can relate to in modern times is Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. And it's a kind of a, a program that I've gone off along. It has a formula that kind of gets dull after a while, but at the beginning, the, the therapist side of my uh, brain was looking at it. Not that I am one, but I'd love to be. Um, why do people go into the jungle? You know, why do celebrities who have maybe choices around things that they'd like to be on quiz shows or they'd like to just take a bus into London and go to Thames Studio or something and just do something easy. But instead, going into the jungle, it's not the easiest thing to happen. And for anybody who's ever watched the show, um, it was always very funny because people going in were crying and whinging and, ah, how am I going to survive and I don't like this and blah, blah, blah. And then... Um, Towards the end, when uh, it was getting really tough and when you had no food to eat and you're starving, then people started to think, I don't want to leave. Some transformation happened within the jungle. Something happened and people let their guard down and they became who they were supposed to be, who they are, in fact, under God's eyes because there was nothing else. You're beaten down by the weather. You're beaten down by exhaustion, lack of food. But in the midst of all of that, something 
can grow. Something profound can happen to you. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record an episode that took place right after Jesus' baptism. We're going with Mark this morning because we hear from Mark because he tells it in a very brief way, and I like that about him. He says, for example, um, the Spirit immediately drove him after his baptism. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Boof. Finished. Mark gets straight into the action. Jesus, though, if you read that, is plunged or forced right into the conflict and opposition that will mark his ministry and lead to his death. And the word immediately stands out in Mark because when Jesus was baptized, immediately the heavens opened. They were torn apart, we're told, and God spoke, and the Holy Spirit descended. And Jesus was immediately forced out into the wilderness. No time for anything else, according to Mark. He is sent immediately, hair probably still wet from the baptism, into a desolate place. And what I want to try and focus on today and make us um, a little bit more aware of is how that wilderness experience is also for us too. We have been joined to Jesus in baptism. And so, the minute that happens, you might find a lot of times we think, oh, everything's going to be wonderful now that I've committed myself to Christ. But actually, that's when you're going to be tempted most and you're forced into this wilderness. There's no escaping it. And like our Lord, when we're baptized, we go immediately out of the water into the wilderness. But because we are coming to follow Christ, we're following him to the cross. John the Baptist, we read in our um, uh, chapter this morning, was also somebody who was starting in the wilderness. He was preaching in the wilderness, declaring the fulfillment of prophecies, foretelling God's plan to restore shalom by offering salvation to all of those who repent and believe. And Jesus then joins John in the desert, but is no sooner baptized and hailed as God's beloved son before he is violently, quite literally thrown far deeper into the wilderness experience where we are told the wild animals prowl. We're told that the spirit drove him into the wilderness. And it's the same word that Jesus used when he drove out demons. So that's what the Spirit does to Jesus. He drives him out into a dark and threatening wilderness. And the language used is stark, it is shocking, I would say probably almost violent. And Jesus is not, sometimes we often think, he's God, he's going into the desert for a time of mindfulness, a time of rest and getting away from everything. But actually where he was going was wild and savage and bleak. And in the Bible, the wilderness has that sense of a place of danger, a place of desolation, remote um, places, lonely places, isolated places, a place where you will be exposed to danger. But when we flip it in the biblical um, uh, history that we have of the desolate places, it is also in those desolate places where we meet God and where God is closest to us. 
And so, this is a place where God will test his people, even his beloved son. For me, it's almost as though Jesus can't really start his ministry until he realizes what the worst of the world is that it has to offer and the evil that is in it. Jesus could not say the kingdom was near until he had the battle scars to show that he had experience at the front lines, that he had engaged in the evil world, he had encountered temptation with Satan, and he took it on, head on, and won. It was only then that he was able to speak words of hope and promise Everyone who would listen to him after that experience knew that Jesus was not just speaking words of comfort and assurance, like John the Baptist, but rather that he was somebody who had engaged with the jagged edges of real life in a fallen world, and he had emerged victorious. Jesus has entered the wild places. He has experienced isolation and loneliness. He was hungry. He was tempted by the devil, but he overcame. And not only did he overcome, but he left the place with an assured message of hope and of confirmation that the good news is worth proclaiming. Where Jesus goes, shalom follows. He will speak to the blind, and guess what? They will see. He will touch the deaf, they will hear. He will calm storms, he will cure the sick, he will raise the dead. And he will enter situations of despair and isolation, and what will be left behind is hope, healing, and belonging. When Jesus emerges from the wilderness, he is energized and affirmed, proclaiming the message he came to fulfill. Look at verse 14. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He comes out of the wilderness and says, repent and believe in the gospel. So in the concise words of Mark, Jesus emerges out of the waters of baptism. He's pushed straight into the wilderness. But what happens after the wilderness? He is pushed straight into ministry. He is bold to preach the same message that John the Baptist was arrested for and was killed for. The temptation in the wilderness is not only a warm-up for the way of the cross. Jesus' faithfulness was tested in the wilderness. His faithfulness will continue, he tells us, through his testimony, all the way to Gethsemane and Golgotha. Jesus has work to do there to pay for the price of our unfaithfulness, the sin that brings death with it. And that's what he takes on himself at the cross. So what about our baptism? Are we called through baptism into a wilderness to prepare us for ministry? The answer is yes. We often overlook the fact that we are sinful creatures in need of healing and restoration. We forget that we're always going to be tempted as God's created beings. People who acknowledge Jesus Christ as their savior, life is not going to be easy because it's not meant to be. The temptations we face will not always be obvious either. And so bit by bit, we might slide further away from God's intended purpose for our lives. I'm reminded of a C.S. Lewis book, The Screwtape Letters, if you know it, where there is a senior devil called Screwtape writing to his nephew, a junior devil named Wormwood. And in those letters, he's trying to teach uh, Wormwood what it is 
to bring people away, the enemy, the Christians, away from the word of God, away from their life of faith, and how you can do that. And rather than talking about big sins and getting people to commit the big things, he says this, and I'll quote it. He says, you will say that there are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But he says, remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate man from the enemy. It doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, and if cards can do the trick, so be it. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Temptation can sleep in, slowly taking us away from our baptized um, mission, which is to preach the word of God. And this can happen in lonely and desolate places, and we might find ourselves in a hostile environment because we're surrounded in this world at this time in Ireland by nothing, in my mind, that will reinforce the gospel message. Instead, I think we're surrounded by beasts of the wilderness that threaten our faith. And so I'm sure that we will all feel isolated and alone and out of place, which is why we need one another as a church body to be together to care for one another along the way, to support one another, and most of all, to encourage one another to rely on Christ Jesus and his message of hope, his message of salvation. And though devils all the world should gather and all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill, because they shall not overpower us. Why? Because we've come out of the water, we've come into the wilderness, and we are now walking with Jesus all of the way. Lent begins in the wilderness in the worst parts of life in a broken world. It begins there as a reminder that Jesus is transforming this world by his very presence. Lent begins in the wilderness so that by the time we see Jesus enter into nothing short of hell and death itself, near the end of it all, we have a more firm sense that somehow, some way, by grace and power we can scarcely imagine, Jesus leaves those places changed for the better. And we often think of the wilderness as a place only of trial and terror, but it can also be a place of beauty, where we encounter God afresh, where we meet Jesus in a very special, personal way, a place where we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And like Jesus, we can use Lent as an opportunity to fast, to pray, and to emerge with a whole new energy, an assured sense of mission. And we can do this because Jesus has gone ahead of us into that spiritual imprisonment, and he has brought life where there was none. And when we scratch our heads and wonder, how is this so? We go back to Mark's beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and he says, 
the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We often forget the Son of God is on our side. And while the wilderness might be an untamed place for us at the moment, as we have talked about on numerous occasions, as we talked about in Lamentations a few uh, weeks back, Jesus Christ establishes his greatest works in the wilderness. In God's wisdom, life comes out of death, glory comes out of suffering, streams out of a desert. And all of this happens so that God alone might be glorified for his marvelous handiwork in the lives of those who dare to be fashioned in barren places. Isaiah 41 says this, I will open the river, says God, on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness cedar, myrtle, olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. God transforms barren places. And I want us to be assured of that today. He transforms barren places. But for this to happen, we must remember his purpose for the wilderness so that we can be determined to reap the benefits. The desert strips us. If anybody who's ever gone out on a wilderness journey, and I know probably Dennis and Arell have. But when you're there, what happens? Your self-sufficiency suddenly goes when you get into dangerous situations. I remember going up to the Wicklow Mountains once with a bottle of Evian and a packet of Tato. How far was I going to get if there was any trouble? But actually, I remember that when I was on the summit, I don't know where it was, it was some place where there was a pool of water at the very top that wasn't well known. And a fog suddenly appeared. And we had to sit there. And I thought... It's not a mountain, it's a kind of a hill. Shows what, I, what I'm good at. I said, it's a hill, surely we can make it down. The fog didn't lift for a long time, uh, but the guide there was saying, we're not going down until it's gone. But actually, after a while, it was getting quite cold, so he decided to make it slowly down, and only then I realized, actually, how vulnerable I am. So when we go into the wilderness, our self-sufficiency, suddenly you think a bag of potatoes is not going to cut it. And it teaches us to rely totally on God. And it molds us into his image. And in other words, it increases God's glory in us by shaping us into human channels of the divine life. We are afflicted in every way, says 2 Corinthians. But we're not crushed. We're not perplexed. We're not driven to despair. We're not persecuted. We're not forsaken. We're not struck down. We are not destroyed because we are always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life, the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. 
We adopt these words of wisdom for surviving hard times. We clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. We make smooth the desert and the highway of our God because we are his children. But we also pave a wider path for his involvement when we trust him and when we walk in his ways. Because with the Lord on our side, even those things that are hard, we can emerge from the desert like Jesus in the power of the Spirit. So take courage. I think it was Churchill said, no matter what, keep moving. The pain of the wilderness may be great, but greater still is the significance for your life. Because the hope that we have is that the promised land awaits us. Anne sent me a poem yesterday. I'm going to try and find it in the midst of all of this because I think it actually reflects that. I probably won't speak it away a poem or a poet should, but I think it captures that wilderness as we end this morning. It's a poem by Priscilla Reed. Miniature portraits of grace provoke an unparalleled surge of thanks. In the little, you loom large. Intentionally, you have planted seeds of hope if we have eyes to see. The new season will come even now it springs up. The wasteland will yet bloom. Let's pray.